the human eye. Your leaders have withheld the truth. You are not alone in this universe. We have lived among you, hidden, but no more. If you resist us, we will destroy the world as you know it. Your world must not share the same fate as Cybertron. Whole generations lost. Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. What you're about to see is top secret. Do not tell my mother. But be warned. These reviews will contain spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. This isn't my war. Not yet, but I fear it soon will be. Ba weep, rana weep, mini ba. Today we're discussing Transformers: Age of Extinction. Starring Mark Wahlberg, Stanley Tucci, Kelsey Grammer, Jack Rayner, Sophia Miles, Lee Bingbing, and directed, as always, by Michael Bay. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and have either of you seen my seed? <laughs> uh, Stuart in LA. Hey guys, I'm glad to be back. This is Jerry. And back we are. It seems like we're living 2011 all over again. First, we have a new X-Men movie after X-Men First Class three years ago. And now we have another Transformers movie. And yet, we've had X-Men movies along the way. I don't know about you guys. Jerry, I'm sure it's different for you, but I haven't looked back at the Transformers since we did those shows. These were hazy, hazy memories. I actually had a bit of a panic attack yesterday as I was driving. Not only because I got pulled over by a cop for speeding, but because I realized I did did not remember what happened in the last movies. I was hoping this was going to be a total reboot because I remember a little bit about cubes and shards and matrixes of leadership, but I honestly, I couldn't tell you the plots of any of them. I actually have not revisited the movie universe hardly. I watched Dark of the Moon again the weekend it came out on Blu-ray. Okay. Watched the 3D version of it on my TV and have not touched a Michael Bay film since. Now, there's things happening in and out of the Transformer universe. I think I've been to a, a BotCon since we've recorded last, and I keep up with the fandom and the collecting and everything, but from a movie perspective, you know, for a little bit, we thought we were done with it. Yes. Yeah, when the last movie came out, Bay said he was done. The studio said, well, there's money to be made, and we're going to reboot without Bay. I guess that was a negotiating tactic. <laughs> It seemed like the right decision. He made three films. Usually a trilogy is all anyone has in them. There's no point in going back and doing a part four. I mean, let somebody else reboot it. Don't make a third sequel. That 
seems like a mistake. Okay, it helps with the fact that I'm not a fan of what he did with the Transformers, but I would also just like to be seeing this from a new perspective. What would this movie look like if it were directed by the guy that did The Transporter? He was in the mix, or Stephen Summers, who does The Mummy movies. I mean, I think it might be interesting. It doesn't have to be an artist. It doesn't have to be someone to art this up, but just a new take on Transformers was something I was really hoping for, should I ever come back for another installment. And I'm sure part of that is why uh, Jason Statham was uh, associated with being part of the fourth movie as well. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it was rumored very early on before we heard Mark Wahlberg that he was already signed up to be part of four and five. Oh, okay. Well, that's, again, that would be quite a different series, wouldn't it be? I mean, I would think that that would color it in an entirely different way. And Bay seemed to want to do other things. He was never a Transformers fan. He went off and did Pain and Gain, and I actually did see that movie. I thought it kind of half worked once you get past his adolescent humor. I like the performances. Let me put it that way. I thought the guys were really good in the movie. The the movie itself is rather crude and loud and a bit vulgar, but then again, it was Michael Bay. <laughs> I have to echo that, Stuart. I, I certainly, and this isn't a reflection of what I think about this movie yet, but I would have enjoyed seeing someone else's view of Transformers, someone else's take. I'm a big enough fan in that there's been so many different versions of Transformers anyway. I mean, they basically reboot whatever television series they were doing at the time every three years anyway, so I'm constantly seeing something that, yeah, I like that, no, I don't like that, I'll catch up with the Transformers in three years when they reboot their show again. So it's not unusual, an unusual thing for a Transformer fan to get yet another take on Transformers. So what happened? Did no one bite? Like, could no one else comprehend how to make these toys into movies except Michael Bay? I don't know the real answers behind any of that. I I can't imagine that's the case. I mean, we saw Pacific Rim, somebody do a competent job with big robots and you know I didn't personally recommend that one which I guess I'll uh, always have to live with that but I certainly think someone else could have done it I don't know if Steven Spielberg and the rights owners just look at the financial success of the first three and say hey why would we change any of the players this is working so well and these movies make a ton of money it'll be interesting to see how Age of Extinction actually does at the box office I'm wondering if maybe they got a little scared over Battleship that was a Hasbro property and that was Peter Berg that was a different (laughs) director it looked like a transform movie. It should have done Transformer movie money, right? But everyone hated it. It won Razzies, and maybe they just decided that only Michael Bay has the magic touch, if you want to call it a magic touch. You mean the touch? (laughs) You got the touch! Mark Wahlberg, who actually did a version of that song in Boogie Nights. I don't know if you know of that. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. In that movie, he wrote the song, which this is completely full circle. (laughs) I really, really hoped that there would be at least him humming it, a ringtone of it, something to acknowledge that in the Boogie Nights universe, he wrote that song later in Transformers. But I guess the crowd that sees a 12-inch penis in the last scene of a movie isn't the same crowd that goes for exploding robots. Hey, I'm here. I saw them both. But yeah, you might be (laughs) right. People probably have forgotten. That was, what, 14, 15 years ago that he made Boogie Nights. He was at a different point in his career. Mark Wahlberg at this point has been a Hollywood star for well over a decade and had just worked with Bay. I guess it went off pretty good if they got through pain and gain together. I guess he knew what he was in for when he signed up for this. He's the newbie. I mean, they've gotten rid of pretty much everyone but the Autobots. He's going to be the new star to carry what's presumed to be a new trilogy. And this actually excited me. Now, when we did our Transformers retrospective, I came in as kind of the Michael Bay fan, 
even though the arrows I gave those movies may not reflect that. I forget that, honestly. I, I'm like, oh, he hates Michael Bay. And then it's like, no, it's just these movies. And I had seen all of his movies but one at that time. I have since caught up. I have now seen everything. And I had really given him hell, saying that in the 21st century, he had not made a good movie. He finally made one with Pain and Gain with Mark Wahlberg. I really enjoyed that movie. And I saw that when it was new on video, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe he needed to go take a breather, but what he did there had some great comedy. I don't recommend it as a actual historic account. I looked up the real events. Not quite like that, but I enjoyed the performance Mark Wahlberg gave. It kind of refreshed me for Transformers, and to get ready for this podcast, I went back again... <laughs> And I rewatched the entire Bay trilogy. I didn't go back to that abomination of a cartoon. I just couldn't. I had no reason okay. to. <laughs> but you saw all three films, uh, Rise of the Fallen or whatever that was. That second one, that was the unwatchable one for me. I could never go back to that. Yeah, and then I listened to the podcast. I watched the first one. I was on a trip with some friends, and they brought it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be seeing the sequel pretty soon. So we all gathered around to kind of just make fun fun of that movie mm. and we did ruthlessly it sounded a lot like our podcast really <laughs> and then i watched the other two back to back if you can imagine six hours of that by the end it really did feel like i'd been waterboarded or something then i went back and listened to the podcast my opinions haven't changed one iota so all the goodwill i got from pain and gain flushed away <laughs> in nine hours of robotic brain numbing stupidity and so I have to just admit a personal bias here. This is the podcast I didn't want to do. I said it at the end of part three. I felt it going into the theater the other night. I don't want to see this. I don't want to be here. Yeah, I can't even fake that I was excited about this. No, I, I really wasn't. I think what I needed to know was this was going to take a new direction. And with Bay at the helm, I just wasn't confident that we were on that path. I like Mark Wahlberg. I think he can be a good everyman. I never hated Shia LaBeouf. I just think that the material did not serve what he can do very well. He'd be in this, but he's not famous anymore. Yeah, yes, I agree. But will it be him or Michael Bay putting a bag over their head after this is released? That's what I'm wondering as I'm walking into the theater last night. There was a marathon, that, by the way. You could actually pay to watch all three of those movies beforehand could you imagine could you just imagine i just picture the people like catatonic drool like going <laughs> yeah. down like the blipverts from max headroom had hit them or something all i can say is chicago looked better at the end of the last movie than the movie theater did that i walked into i was like what the heck happened here plus the smell yeah i was gonna say i bet that, that smelled great after 12 hours of viewing <laughs> It did, it, and they had three more to go. I mean, this is a long-ass movie we're about to talk about. I'm going to make a vow not to make this podcast nearly as long as Michael Bay drags out an Age of Extinction. But if it's an Age of Extinction, you got a long time before it dies. A long time. All I have to say right now is, listeners, I think we should start a special donation, and Stuart sets a threshold. And if we get that, he has to go to the marathon for part five. Because I remember, <laughs> I re-listened to the podcast, you 
couldn't even watch most of these movies in one sitting, yeah. let alone having a 15-hour Transformer-a-thon. I would just like <laughs> to hear your reaction to that. Yeah, right. As if it would be verbal. I mean, I may not have a pulse after that. Quite honestly, medically dangerous to consider that. <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, this is going to be kind of weird as the Transformers fan, but I, I didn't have a lot of excitement going into this either. And Oh, wow. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I mean, my only hope was Mark Wahlberg, and I really enjoy Mark Wahlberg movies. I, I would highly recommend, not that we're talking this today, but you know, what I call the Mark Wahlberg trilogy of The Shooter, Four Brothers, and Italian Job. Those are the first three movies I saw with him in, and I thought, man, this, this is a bad dude. I love how he plays tough guy, and I've seen a majority of his movies going back and through his library and, and then watching since. I just recently saw Lone Survivor in, in the theaters not too long ago. Saw Contraband uh, when it was in theaters last year. and He was great in Ted. Yeah, I, I didn't actually quite make it out to that one. <laughs> Pot smoking teddy bear doesn't grab you? I gotta say, if you want a real laugh, try The Happening. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's M. Night's uh, version of a uh, Mark Wahlberg movie. Okay. <laughs> it is his worst film. Mark Wahlberg will never be worse. I can tell you right up front, he'll never do a worse job in any movie than he does in that film. Wow. Okay. You know, to me, Mark Wahlberg is sort of my, uh, what Sylvester Stallone was for me in the 80s and 90s. There was a time I would go see anything with Sylvester Stallone in it. And that kind of ended with Judge Dredd <laughs> when I realized, okay, <laughs> this ride's kind of over, isn't it? And the second Rob Schneider, Sylvester Stallone team up it took to get there. <laughs> yeah, I know that that day's got to come somewhere. Stallone has a lot of bombs in the 90s. I wonder which one it would be to kill the fandom. But yeah, it seems like a good choice, Judge Dredd. Get off the train, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing for me, I, I I just didn't feel like that this movie just had the hype behind it. Not like the other ones did. I mean, I don't know if it was something that maybe a lot of people had given up on the movies or just didn't care or maybe we didn't hear as much about them. I'm not really sure what it is. It might have just been me personally just not being as tied into the message boards for Transformers as I had been three, four, five years ago. But the other thing is that the toys on the shelf, and if you know me from uh, Arnie's other podcast, you know I collect toys too and I'm involved in those shows and I collect Transformers toys. And the toys on the shelves for this movie are so sad. Awful. What, do they transform into like a wicker basket or something? What's wrong with them? Well, the thing that Hasbro's done across all their toy lines is sort of dummied them down to offer them at lower price points. So you don't have just a normal set of the Autobots, for instance. You don't have great versions of Bumblebee available. You have three or four different sizes of Optimus Prime and Grimlock, but that's it. All the other characters in the movie just have a few more simplistic younger children toys available for them. Yeah, I was at Toy Fair this year covering the new toy releases for Star Wars Action News and Marvelicious Toys. And just to sum it up really briefly, the toy market's in the shitter because China's really doing well. Well, we're going to be talking about China in this movie. We sure are. Costs are going up and toys are past the point where parents want to spend and so they're making rudimentary toys again. And But Jerry, come on, San Diego Comic-Con has a Dinobot set that even I want. Yeah, I agree with you. The hype on this was low, but the big selling point is right. This is the one that's going to have the dinosaur transformers. That's a big deal, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can find four or five different versions of Grimlock, just depending on how much money you want to spend on it and how much detail you want it to be. And the Dinobots, even though I was pretty arms crossed on this, there's a 10-year-old boy in me who went, Dinobots? You mean Dinobots? <laughs> I was slightly excited. The adult in me went, you know those other movies sucked. You're just going to really be sad. <laughs> but the 10-year-old, but Dinobots! 
That's the other thing, Arnie. When Dark of the Moon came out, there were a lot of talks about Dinobots potentially being in that, or, hey, we hear the next movie's going to be about Dinobots. And Michael Bay said, and Michael Bay's like this, I think he tries to do the misdirect so people don't really know what's going on, etc., etc. But he had made some comments about Dinobots like, hey, I think they're pretty stupid. There's no way I'd ever put one in a film. So when I heard Dinobots was going to be in this, I was like, oh, crap, what's he going to do to him? Because I don't think he has a high level of respect for him. Like, you and I would because of the childhood memories of, of the Dinobots. They were awesome. Why he no like Grimlock? Why he not think Grimlock smart? <laughs> Even I, who I don't collect toys and I was never into Transformers, I gotta admit, that's the grabber. That was the thing I was hoping to see to like when you see a, a still of Optimus Prime riding on a Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever he is that's made out of metal. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a fun movie for the right age group and I'm ready to turn into an eight-year old boy if they can deliver that that is kind of what i'm hoping as i walk into the theater is that this is the age of extinction i assume that this is about yeah our dinosaur friends coming back as killer robots how wrong i am well jerry why don't you tell him what this movie is about in a plot summary all right arnie i mean for a two hour and 37 minute movie let me see uh how i can do with this but the movie opens back in the dinosaur age where we see alien ships create explosions that cause the ice age of prehistoric earth yeah this is gonna be long (laughs) you're starting in the prehistoric age it's gonna be a long movie This leaves the dinosaurs extinct and frozen in what appears to be metallic exoskeletons. We come to the present, which is four years after the events of Dark of the Moon. Due to the Battle of Chicago, the U.S. military cut their allegiance with the Autobots. They're branded fugitives and are hunted down by CIA Black Ops team Cemetery Wynn led by Harold Attinger, played by Kelsey Grammer, with Field Commander James Savoy. They form an uneasy alliance with Transformer bounty hunter Lockdown. Lockdown is after Optimus Prime and offers Attinger an item simply known as the Seed in exchange for Prime. Meanwhile in Texas, we meet Cade Yeager and daughter Tessa. Cade is a down-on-his-luck inventor who is broke and cannot afford to send his daughter to college or even pay his employee, Lucas. It's Cade's dream to invent the next big thing, but his number one priority is to protect his daughter. Cade stumbles upon and buys an old beat-up semi-truck that he hopes to strip down from sell for parts, but realizes that it is a Transformer. He soon reactivates Optimus Prime, which quickly brings Cemetery Wind and Lockdown to their home. A big battle breaks out between Prime, the CIA agents, and Lockdown, leaving the Yeager home blown to bits. Cade, Tessa, and Lucas escape due to the aid of Tessa's secret boyfriend, rally car hopeful Shane. Optimus Prime reunites with Autobots Hound, Drift, Crosshair, and fan favorite Bumblebee. Cade discovers that the Transformers are being hunted down and provided to the corporation KSI, led by business and technology guru Joshua Joyce. KSI are using the metal the Transformers are made of and have discovered how to program and manipulate it. They are building their own Transformers, but are running out of this Transformium and must get more. Their ultimate achievement is Galvatron. Galvatron was built from decoding information from Megatron's head. Cade, Optimus, and the gang infiltrate KSI's headquarters in Chicago and learn about the Transformers they are making. They leave the premises, but are pursued by Galvatron and the Bumblebee clone Stinger. Lockdown arrives and defeats Prime, telling him that he was sent by Prime's creators to capture him. He then takes him to a ship, but also unintentionally captures Tessa. With Prime in hand, Lockdown delivers the seed so that Joyce can detonate it in Mongolia to create an abundant supply of Transformium. The good guys manage to get on Lockdown's ship, rescue Tess, while Prime and Hound manage to separate a portion of Lockdown's ship to escape. Meanwhile, Joyce moves the operations to Beijing, where he learns that Galvatron is sentient and is not under KSI's control. He attempts to back out of the deal with Attinger and takes the seed away from Galvatron and his new army of Decepticons. This chase leads to Hong Kong, where the final battle is fought between Autobots and Decepticons. Lockdown returns when he realizes he no longer has Optimus in his custody. Badly outnumbered, Optimus Prime activates four legendary warriors that were held captive on Lockdown's ship. 
They are not named, but we know them as Grimlock and the Dinobots. With the Dinobots under his leadership, Prime and the Autobots defeat the Decepticons. But it's not over yet, as Optimus and Lockdown have one last all-out fight. With the help of Cade, Tessa, Shane, and Bumblebee, Optimus destroys Lockdown, takes the seed, and yet again sends a message out to space. But this time, it's a warning to the creators that he is coming for them. And I actually understand this plot this time. I just want to say right up the top, for all of the beiginess that I've endured in the past, and it has not been eradicated from this movie, the storyline is much more linear this time. I can follow what you just said without a multitude of questions, which is not to say that everything we witness is comprehensible, but I at least know what they're getting at. Congratulations, this is the least beiginess of any Transformers movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I had the same reaction this time, and I think part of it is the writer. We have Aaron Kruger. Now, he wrote Dark of the Moon, but he was taking over for those two writers that I absolutely hate. Kruger is credited on part two, but I almost feel like maybe he was the new kid in school because everything that I've seen Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman write has always left me very disappointed <laughs> across the board. It's just, I want them out of Hollywood, really. And I wonder if Kruger was kind of picked on for a little bit, but it's finally in this beginning of a new chapter of Transformers, been able to exert some form of creative control or something because truthfully, I was started making notes in the middle of this film on my little pad going, wait, wait, you're telling me that there's only four factions of people <laughs> and really they could be summed <laughs> down to three? And wait, 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 wait. You're telling me there aren't extraneous characters all over the freaking place? And this plot actually makes sense and people are doing things for motivations that seem understandable and comprehensible? I'm supposed to be watching Transformers here. Yeah, this was a movie that I know Michael Bay directed it, but there are times that I had to kind of remind myself that he did. I mean, it, it's obvious in the action scenes, but I don't see his thumbprint on the humor and the weird aspects of the plot that we've been picking apart. Even though I recommended two of those movies, I do highlight and acknowledge the flaws, a lot of which I don't see glaring at me in this movie. Glaring is a good word. They're there, but you have to look for them a little bit harder. The toilet humor, that's really what it is. The toilet humor is largely gone. There is still absurd humor here that doesn't play very well, and there are many things that I still associate with Bay, but no, it is not as crass as, well, certainly the second one, or really any of the original trilogy was. He's grown up. He got rid of a kid. I guess maybe that's telling. Bay has gotten older, and his leading man is now much older than Shia. So I think that he was tired of telling uh, the story of a boy and his robot, and now this is going to be a story of a, a man and his robot. And what a man Cade is, isn't he? Could you get more all-American? This man, he has no money, but he has decorated his house in American flags. <laughs> He's being evicted from his home. It's a few years late to be jumping on that topical housing collapse, but people remember losing their home for a long time. So he's right there, middle America. He's trying to have that entrepreneurial American spirit. He's an inventor. He kind of reminded me of Rand Peltzer from Gremlins, really, because he's not a very good inventor. I thought he might have made the bathroom buddy. I agree. And he's a picker, too. I mean, that's kind of a trendy thing. 
can turn on any reality show on cable and you see that it's very trendy right now to send these people out to go raid places and find valuables, diamonds in the rough, as it were. And, oh, you know, in this pile of debris and rubble, I actually found this, you know, old antique thing that's worth thousands of dollars. He has that quality as well. He's not an opportunist. He's actually finding these things and, and lecturing people that are attacking this man here in the theater. You know, he's we see him going to work here in an old movie theater. He's attacking the son for exploiting his grandfather for saying that he ran a traditional movie theater here. Yeah, he's definitely a defender of classic heartland American values. That said, Mark Wahlberg as a Texan? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Transformers, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, and there he's got like a surfer dude friend. I'm like, where do you catch a wave in Paris, Texas? I wonder. Yeah, clearly they didn't say he was born in Texas, but I like uh, what Wahlberg brings to the uh, Transformers universe here, at least to these movies. I mean, it, it's not the Shia LaBeouf first 30 minutes complaining about everything that's wrong with his life. Even though Mark Wahlberg, you know, Kate has things to be, I mean, he's very much down his luck. He doesn't have money. He Everything that he tries to do seems to not work out for him. And, you know, he's swinging baseball bats at people getting them off his property because he hasn't paid his bills in six months. And, you know, you have to go along with the daughter and kind of slap your forehead a little bit and say, dude, man, just sell some of that crap you got. So I feel for him. And I think he's playing that good, believable character. But you really feel bad for the situation he's got his family in. I have to say, when that sassy black person, the realtor, the purple people eater came in part of me thought maybe we should just leave we know this is a not recommend we don't even want to be here we're going to be having this character in this movie again i was taken back to the first one with anthony anderson she's threatening to send her obese brother to beat up mark Wahlberg. i'm like oh my god we're just here again i am so relieved to say right off the bat the realtor never shows up, and the brother never makes an appearance. The brother's name had to be Jerry, of course. <laughs> you know there has to be cut scenes. I mean, as long as this movie is, there's probably stuff that Bay had to cut out. I wonder if it wasn't in the, a longer version, God forbid. But yeah, the basiness is still here. That humor, I use that word lightly, but that humor is still evident, but it comes less frequently, and it's less annoying. And yeah, I'm with you. I'm with Wahlberg as a character. He ends up in the storyline largely because he buys a semi for $150. Of his surfer friend's money. Yes, and he finds out it's Optimus Prime. But I do want to ask, is there really a role here for Mark Wahlberg or the human characters? I do think it's a bit of a stretch to keep him in this story for the rest of the movie. They find reasons and ways, and I follow it. But I have to wonder right off the bat, do you think this story might be better served just being about the Autobots? Because they're the characters that are on the run. After Chicago, they're in hiding. The reason why Optimus Prime is a beat-down semi hiding in an abandoned movie theater is because if he's found, he'll be assassinated by the U.S. government. I see where you're coming from here because one of the notes that I took is that I felt that the first hour, hour and a half of this movie was very good. I really enjoyed the humans with just Optimus. Like, they're helping Optimus on the run. The moment Optimus gets back up with the other Autobots, then I feel like, oh, wow, this movie changed. I like the CIA with Lockdown going after the humans and Optimus. I dug that. I was sitting there thinking, hey, I know what toys are out there. I know there's a Hound. I know there's Bumblebee, of course. And I've heard that Galvatron's in this. Of course, we're getting Grimlock. But how cool would this movie be if it was literally just a couple Transformers and it was about the human element, if that 
that's done well. That sounds weird coming from me who in, you know, enjoyed the 1986 animated film with like 150 Transformers in it, but I thought they were going somewhere with that, and then it, you're right, it does change. And I think Cade still brings something to it, and we'll get there, but I think certainly the characters of the daughter and Shane, I think they very much become somewhat useless as we get further in the movie. I actually like the human story here, though. I agree with what you say, Jerry. The way this entire story, if I can say this, rolls out is very well done because it starts with no Transformers. We're four or five years, depending on who's talking on screen, they do flub that. Kelsey Grammer at one point says five years, says the Battle of Chicago. And... Transformers are persona non grata on Earth. Nest is no more. And in fact, there's a new group called Cemetery Wind, which I can only think smells really bad, (laughs) hunting them. And so the reason Optimus Prime was in that theater, he got shelled and he was presumed dead, but still missing. They didn't recover the body. And I like how this starts off where it's people versus robots. But that said, I was looking for the useless character arcs. I was looking for the unmotivated character actions. I think that what happens here makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm really glad, especially, that Cade, Mark Wahlberg, stays in the story. As for the daughter and her boyfriend, they're less useful in the overall plot. But, wow, they all had arcs. When this movie ended, they were mostly different characters than when they began, and not in the way I expected, because we're introduced to Cade as this overprotective father. He was a teenage dad, and he won't let his daughter date. He's going to take her to prom himself, even though she's a senior in high school. She has a secret boyfriend, but he's trying to be overprotective, and there's this big scene where he goes, no one in this house dates. You don't date, and I don't date. And I'm like, well, I know how Michael Bay is going to do this. He's going to bring in some oiled woman in cutoffs, and he's going to loosen up and then let his daughter date. <laughs> and none of that, like you said, Stuart, baziness was here. The characters felt real, and at no point did I question what actions they should do. And the same with Optimus. I believe his debt to them Because Cade revives him and then hides him when the government comes, Optimus is in his debt, and it's a debt he's going to pay. Optimus hates humans now because of what they've done, but he's going to be honorable to those who protected him. Yeah, that's the story that Mark Wahlberg can solve by the end of this, is that he is going to prove to the few remaining Autobots, there's only a few left, or at least that's the impression I get uh, when they reunite in the middle of this movie, there's only a few still alive, and because they've been persecuted and hunted by humans, then they don't believe that there's any value to being human. You wonder why they don't just get up and fly away. They could leave, right? They could leave Earth. They need a ship, and it blew up in part three. I kind of think that they're stuck here. Okay, but yes. So what Mark Wahlberg is going to do is by the end of it, he's going to stick with them. The reason why he's still in the story for the remainder of it, when it doesn't really make any sense why a Texas inventor would still be hanging out in China with these robots, the reason why he's there is because he wants to prove that he values soldiers. These guys fought for humans in the last movie. He's going to fight for them. So I get it. It is there, but I do feel like, and I just want to put it out there, it would be an interesting take to see if they could have made this movie without Mark Wahlberg, without this family, with just it being Optimus Prime, getting to the middle of the movie in the beginning of the movie, and having it be an hour shorter is something I wouldn't mind seeing. I think that that could alienate a lot of audiences. You've got to have 
your avatar up there. You've got to have your point of view character who's being walked through it for the audience. It would be a tougher sell. Yes, it could be done. It could be done very well. I just think that this is an easier way. And that's certainly not a film Bay would make. Because again, I go back to his entire oeuvre now. All of his films are about working class people. They're his heroes. A robot is not somebody Bay is going to put on a pedestal. Cade is the epitome of the Bay hero. Yeah, I agree. He is doing both the Shia LaBeouf role and he's the military guy's role, the Josh Duhamel role. You know, there's no U.S. military soldier in this. That was the real surprise is that I know he makes these movies with the working cooperation of our military forces. I assume that there would be some pandering soldier coming home storyline. But no, I think you're right. He gets to do both storylines as one character that's very helpful, that helps streamline this story. So if there must be a human character, I'm okay with it being Wahlberg's Kate. I did do some reading on the pre-production, though, Stuart. One of the big things, and this is the case with all movies today, we saw it last year with Iron Man 3, they wanted this movie to play in China. China is becoming as important or more to studio box offices than the U.S. And for that to happen, there had to be some concessions. First, you couldn't portray the U.S. government as police of the world. That was something they specifically were told by the studio. And notice now the U.S. government role here. The government proper is pretty useless. And the one unit, the CIA unit we see, are the bad guys. And then second, China needed to be portrayed in a positive light in scenes in China, which the entire climax is in China. So I don't know whether to credit the screenwriter and Bay for streamlining or whether it was a different sort of pandering, but this time not to our country. Right. And I think that it's helpful to see the way they've set it up. Kelsey Grammer, of course, the bad guy, I feel like forever kind of playing that role, really. I've never seen him play a bad guy. I mean, from Down Periscope to Frasier to X-Men, he's always a good guy. He's always a nebbish guy. I was surprised he pulled off evil so well here. He really was good. I guess I'm thinking of every other role he's ever had. He's always, like, too smart for the room and just kind of annoying. Even Frasier, I found that character to be toxic, even though we're supposed to laugh with him. Oh, I love him as Frasier. He's funny. I think one of the strengths of this movie is the strength of the cast. If you remember Dark of the Moon, how disappointed we were with, like, John Malkovich. You know, but I think the way they've used Stanley Tucci, the way they've used Kelsey Grammer, I thought, wow, they, these guys are playing really good characters. And, Stuart, I'm with you. I thought Kelsey Grammer nailed the CIA black ops, hey, I'm fighting for my country, but I wouldn't mind a little bit of a little something for myself after all my work and dedication. But, you know, one of the things, you know, getting back to Mark Wahlberg and folks for a moment, you know, one of the things that people have been saying is that Mark Wahlberg's filling the Shia LaBeouf role. And I think, really, I think Shane's the Shia LaBeouf, and then he's just a background character. Which, if you recall, some of the things that I said in the in the other podcast is that I was really disappointed with Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Moon both. I would have liked to have seen Josh Duhamel's role been bigger. I would like to have seen, seen him emerge as the leader and the, the one that we followed more than Shia LaBeouf. And I feel like I got that here. I'm following more Mark Wahlberg and the Shia LaBeouf, Megan Fox characters are still there. You know, the young boy and the young girl in love, and but they're in the background. They're there. And, you know, I think they're infinitely better, but we're really, really following the adult authority figure role here with Mark Wahlberg. And, and I like that much better. 
Well, here's the thing. All the previous movies, all three of them, have had some really stupid Shia-related character subplots. From the Transformers sneaking around the house in one, to the Terminatrix in two, to the Job Hunt in three, these movies stopped being about Transformers and were, let's look at Wacky Sam for a while. In this movie, everything is really plot-driven without all those subplots. There's character things, there's the relationship you mentioned, and the movie I kept going back to, and maybe this isn't a good one for a lot of our listeners, but to me it is, I felt like it was Bay retreading his Armageddon storyline, because there you had Bruce Willis as a single father to daughter Liv Tyler, who was a little bit older, who assisted in his business, who was having a secret relationship with a man who... Bruce Willis didn't approve of, played by Ben Affleck. And they didn't spend a whole lot of time with that relationship. There were a couple scenes early on where you saw Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis arguing and they had to come together. But the movie was about an asteroid pummeling Earth and it stayed focused on that. It didn't have a whole lot of weird scenes of them sneaking around a house. And here, it's a replay of that, but done the right way like Armageddon did. The right way, maybe. They have to have young characters because they're pitching this story still to a young audience. They know that their primary demographic are those kids, so they've got to have kid characters here. But yeah, Spielberg is the one that said, Shia, Shia, Shia. If Spielberg was going to make Transformers, it would be about a boy discovering his car is a robot. I don't think Michael Bay ever wanted to make that movie. I think he wanted to make a movie about soldiers and that there was this strange compromise as both directors got their vision in there in the last trilogy. Now that he's freed by that, he just doesn't pay attention to Shane. And neither do I, quite frankly. Yeah, it feels like it comes in really late that he just rides in here and kind of swoops them out of danger here on the farm. And we learn that she's had this secret relationship and Shane is going to be the guy that she's going to have to win her father's approval for. I don't care about this storyline. I don't think it's particularly good or bad, but it's minimalized. And I think that's the right impulse. We don't need to spend any more time with it than they do. I think they back away from something. He's doing a lot of driving in this movie, and at one point he is steering and says, wow, I'm doing really good, or, or he makes some kind of comment about how he has a different level of control today. I'm wondering if they thought about making his sports car a Transformer. I thought it. I mean, when I see this purple car coming around and it looks all tricked out, I think it's a Transformer. Then when he says that, I'm like, yep, it's a Transformer, and then never happened. Yeah, I think that they thought about it, but what that would have done is say that, oh yeah, this kid's not really a good race driver. Red Bull is backing a phony. The real driver is the robot. That's the one that's in control. And they wanted this guy to be cool, because really there's not anything that he does that is cool. All of those moments are given to Wahlberg. So Shane does what he can when he's behind the wheel. This is how relieved I was to learn about Shane. Because Arnie, you're right, there's a little bit of a misdirect they do there. His car comes up and you don't see the driver through the window. It looks empty. And that car is the same kind of car that Skids and Mudflaps was. What? Oh boy. And I was like, oh dear God. <laughs> no. I thought they were an ice cream truck. They were an ice cream truck at the beginning of two, but then they changed. 
Well, yeah, they, no. they, I think that car is a Chevrolet Sonic, and one of them changed into a Chevrolet Sonic. I don't think they both did, but one of them, and that's that kind of car. I was like, you cannot do this. I will walk out and leave this movie and apologize to now playing fans over and over again. But if Skids or Mudflap is in this movie, deal breaker time. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't be that dumb. Not even Bay would dare go back to that mistake. Even he recognizes. Well, they were hardly in Dark of the Moon either, so I, I didn't really think so, but it scared me. Here's the thing. I think... Shane is supposed to be the funny one. They start off with Lucas, the surfer, as the funny one. And I'm very, very shocked that Lucas gets killed. I hadn't seen a friendly human be killed in a Transformer film. They kill a Transformer, one per movie, it seems. Yeah, but he was annoying. You knew he was dead. He couldn't throw a football. He was always saying obnoxious things. He was macking on girls that weren't interested. He was just not as cool as Wahlberg. So there was no emotional impact of losing him. He betrays them. He actually is the one that calls the black ops in because he's trying to make money off the government, turning in Optimus. Right, but I just thought he was the not-so-bright, wacky sidekick. I did not expect him to be turned into a stack of dust where we get to see the corpse. He doesn't even die and get obliterated. We get to see that corpse linger. And from what they said in the pre-production stuff, Shane is to be the funny one. Later on, there's a scene where Shane, like, gives up his gun and surrenders stupidly. And they tried to have him be the funny one and keep Mark Wahlberg entirely the hero, which I stand by. There were too many tough guys in that army unit previously. Here, by having a funny guy and a tough guy, it works. I just think the actor they got for Shane is pathetic. This Jack Rayner, but he does not come off as funny. I don't know why he's Irish. He does the luck of the Irish accent. And so I think the way he plays it is he's hero number two who sucks. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that last Die Hard movie where Bruce Willis suddenly has a heroic son hanging at his side here. Yeah, he's a wannabe. I had a problem with the accent. I thought he was an Aussie for a while. I didn't like him. I'll just put it out there. I did not like that character. But the important thing to stress is there's not enough of him here to annoy you. So whether you like him or not, he doesn't seem to matter in the end. This is Wahlberg's movie if you're paying attention to the humans. Well, it's like they changed their mind on him. It's as if at first, when you know when they're at the gas station and Prime goes off to see if they're being followed or whatever, that he and Mark Wahlberg, they kind of take chops at each other a little bit. And Shane's playing a little bit of the tough guy. Like, well, hey, he left me when I was five. And if I see him around, I'll make sure to ask him. And he, he's kind of in Mark Wahlberg's face a little bit and not taking any of his stuff. But then you're right, Arnie. He, and I guess this is fairly uh, maybe realistic because, well, as much as anything can be realistic <laughs> in a movie about giant robots. But, you know, he's only 20 years old himself, right? So he gets into these situations and he's going to freeze and, and freak out a little bit. And, you know, I was kind of on the flip side. Well, Stuart, I think you're right that there's not enough of him to possibly overshadow Mark Wahlberg. But me on the flip side, I'm thinking, you know, Mark Wahlberg is doing some things that I'm not sure if every Joe American would do. And I wonder if there's some backstory they're going to open us up to, like he himself was former military or that he trained this, that and the other. But now I guess he's just a normal engineer, as he describes himself to Prime, who just has enough tough guy in him to completely hold it together in these most extreme situations. And I'm glad they didn't use Shane to pull any of that away from Mark Wahlberg. That's Mark Wahlberg's strength. If you're casting Mark Wahlberg, it's to play that role. But Jerry, he's Texan. They're practically military. They're armed better than the military. (laughs) Hey, fair enough. (laughs) He had a flying missile in his barn and didn't really think twice about it. Now, I didn't like Shane either, Stuart, but what I did like was that relationship between Cade and Shane. And again, it kind of mirrors Armageddon, where it starts off very antagonistic, but 
They do prove themselves to each other in hard times. The older, wiser guy is shown to be the more experienced, and the leader, the younger one, is shown to not be completely incompetent, but does have some incompetence. But at the end, it's the father saying, you have proven to me that you can do this. I need you to take care of my daughter while I go need to do what has to be done. And I like that little thing. Now, again, I've said this in the previous Transformer podcast. Bay is not about giving us brand new character development and taking us in new directions. What he's about is evoking what we've seen a million times before and doing it in a shorthand. That's how it's done here, but it worked for me in that regard. It was, I'll use the word efficient. Yeah, I want to stress this too. It sounds like I'm saying Bay is telling a good story. He's not. He's <laughs> telling a very cliched story that is an improvement over what he has done in the past. The fact that this feels rote is congratulations because before it felt erratic. Yeah, these are things that you would expect to see in any summer blockbuster. You're dating my daughter, I don't like you. By the end, they're shooting lasers together. Yeah, that's what I would expect from a mainstream popcorn action flick. Now, while we're going through the Jaeger family, how did you guys feel Nicola Peltz measured up to Megan Fox and the Victoria's Secret model who was in part three? I don't think they went there. I think they made her a little bit younger. Yeah, they put her in the high heels and the short shorts and the blue nails. But by and large, I think we think of her as Wahlberg's daughter and not as a sex object. I don't think that, that she's pimped out in the same way that women have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, overall, I thought she did just fine. I, I liked her better than the other two. And back to kind of our previous point, she wasn't so highlighted in the movie, though, as the girlfriend of the star. So it's a totally different setting. And I appreciated, you know, like I said earlier, I, I like the fact that in that first hour, hour and a half, we really feel a lot for her because she is sort of the adult on some levels because the dad's irresponsible with the money and the spending. He's got them in a hole and she's worried about going to college. So, you know, Megan Fox's character is never concerned about going to college, right? I mean, already you got a, a much different take on the kinds of things that this character is valuing. But the moment they get to Chicago, though, she does become the screaming girl who always needs to be rescued. And I thought it sort of 180 a little bit on it. Didn't annoy me, but I got to the point where I was like, oh man, you know, they could have done so much with her character and they just let it go. They build her up as being so uh, mature and so responsible and having to kind of watch out for the dad. And the dad's like, hey, that's why we make a great team. But then we lose that. She's there to remind us that we need men to save her. That's basically what it is. That although she's quote unquote taking care of Mark Wahlberg at the beginning, no. Every time that there's a bad situation, she's the one that's in peril and must be rescued. Yeah, it's it's not a progressive view. Uh, it's not your standard tough girl. I, I mean, normally in, in Hollywood action movies these days, I expect a Hunger Games to come in here. You know, I expect a Katniss to have a good quality with combat or, or something. But no, she spends the movie getting caught in nets, dangling off ropes at high spaces. She really is not tough in any way. Well, I know this actress from Bates Motel. I do think she is quite objectified. I mean, some of the camera shots they have, I mean, her shorts, I did look around. There were shorter shorts in my audience, so it wasn't that much of a hoochie cutter, but it really was, she was the eye candy. But as for her being the damsel in distress, 
I think that that actually goes to part of the character arc, which is she can't appreciate what her father does for her. And this may be something about a story being told by a middle-aged man about a middle-aged man, but yes. she doesn't appreciate all the work her father does. She looks at what they don't have, because they don't have a lot, and not that everything he does, he does to try to put her through college. And throughout this movie, he is the hero who saves her time and time again, and for most of the movie, she goes, oh, shit! Shane, you saved me. And Mark Wahlberg just gives great facial reactions every time that happens. And finally, at the end of the movie, she realizes her dad is her hero. So that is that arc. She needed to be put in those situations to finally recognize her father as a worthy man. Again, not a particularly great feminist statement, not a really something to celebrate. Wow, a message in which little girls need to listen to their fathers. Not terribly progressive, but a story arc nonetheless. There were kick-ass women in here, and we will talk about them. It's just not all of them were, and this one, yeah, she was pretty shrieky and kind of useless. But, but this is a Transformers movie. Why are we spending so much time talking about the people? <laughs> this is crazy to me. Because I found Mark Wahlberg actually interesting. It's the first human in these movies that I liked. Wow, I see. And you're using a strength that's surprising to me. It sounds like you're having a positive experience. I want to just put it out there. If it sounds like I'm having as positive experience as you, I'm not. He's okay, but I would not say that he is appreciably better than Shia LaBeouf. He's less annoying than the way Shia was written. But I don't find his storylines, I don't find like these rote, cliched stories to be so much better than what was done before. They're just less erratic. I think that's the point I want to make. And I will say that I agree with you. This is rote, trite, cliched shorthand, which I think Bay excels at. But this is a mountain above what we got with Shia. I just rewatched it. (laughs) Yeah, especially after three movies of Shia, this is, to me, a breath of fresh air. And maybe it's the same level of storytelling, but we just have a much stronger actor that's making me feel it. Fine, whatever is making it work. I'm with Arnie. I mean, for this podcast today, I actually only watched the first two. I I didn't get around to watching Dark the Moon, and I've seen it most recently, so I didn't feel quite the need. And yeah, I did not want to see anything close to the the Shia type storytelling. Actors aside, it, the stories itself, I guess maybe, hey, man, just because I'm a 39-year-old man, maybe I, I can follow what Mark Wahlberg's doing better and so be it, but the strength of actor that he brings to it, I'll take it any day of the week. And I'll just say this. I went into this movie with a scowl on my face and my arms folded and yeah, I've got to freaking review Transformer. And with the efficiency with which this is moving along and how quickly we get to an actual plot, my arms are just starting to unfold a little bit. That's the place I'm at. By the time Cemetery Wind and the lead strike team guy, James Savoy, are coming to the house trying to retrieve Optimus, I'm like, we're getting to real story real fast. No, we are not! Do not lie to the people, Arnie. There is nothing that happens in this movie fast. Absolutely nothing. This is like 40 minutes into the movie. There's nothing efficient about this. This movie drags. You cannot say that. I have to disagree. I've seen it twice now. And both times. What? Yeah. Me too. There hasn't been enough time from it opening to this recording. That movie's nine hours long. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still in the theater recording this. I'm waiting for the credits to finish. I saw it on the preview night, and then I took a day off work. 
took most of that day to go see it again. <laughs> and both times, because yes, we're setting up Mark Wahlberg, but I mean, there's the whole plot. I mean, we do start in prehistoric times. I'm still not sure why we start in prehistoric times. Yeah, we're skipping over a lot of stuff to focus on the stuff that we're really excited is working for us. Because what we find out here is that the death of the dinosaurs is all the result of a Transformer plot. Not Transformer. I don't think it's Transformer. The creator of the Transformers who is apparently semi-biological, all we see, and I, I mean, even making an assumption that this is the creator, but there's a mystery established here. There are lines dropped that are setting up hooks for a sequel about who created the Transformers, who built Optimus Prime. And at the beginning, we see cute little trashic park dinosaurs playing and aw, and then a big ship comes and bombs them all. <laughs> And we only see the hand of the ship's pilot, but it's not a robot hand. There's like a fleshy pink goo there. Yeah, it looks like a lizard, actually. It's kind of like a, some kind of claw. And what they're dropping is Transformium. <laughs> that makes me feel dumber to say. Well, to be fair, it's not what they called it. It's what the marketing guru Steve Jobs guy calls it. True. It's meant to be stupid. <laughs> It dares to be stupid, even. But it's the building blocks. It's what makes Transformers. It's their material. It's the black ooze from Prometheus. Yes, mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah, we all got to have these creation origin stories. It's, it's usually what happens when you reboot a franchise. Go back. How did this all get started? Again, I say, wouldn't this movie be more efficient, a word you used, if we had... Optimus trying to find out who created him in this movie. Rather than drag it out for three films, wouldn't it be something to not focus on humans? Okay, they hate us on Earth. I'm going to go find out what this is. If that's what the new trilogy is about, shouldn't they be getting to this a lot quicker and more often? I like what this film is about. I'm not sure I will like when they get to the creators. That said, I've seen the films they're making. The creators are going to come to Earth. We're not going to go to Cybertron or LV-421 or whatever to meet the creators. They're going to come to us and we're going to be in danger and Marky Mark will probably be there, hopefully singing the touch. But I like this plot for one reason. And Jerry, I'm going to look to you to tell me who this is because my Transformers knowledge doesn't go there. But there's a Transformer bounty hunter who is badass. His name is Lockdown. He is, turns into a gun. I didn't even think they could do that anymore because he can't make toys of guns. But his face becomes like this massive rail gun. Plus the car he becomes. I don't know a lot about cars, but I want one. I probably can't afford it. But man. <laughs> it's a Lamborghini. All right. Yes. I can't afford it. Donors, help. It's easily two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000, yes. Donors, uh, I'll release the <laughs> Alien series for a Lamborghini. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, and actually, here's the interesting thing. Lockdown is a relatively new character to the Transformers folklore. He's not a G1 guy. He's not somebody that was tucked in the background of the 86 movie with all the other 90-some-odd Transformers. I actually know him best from a like 2008-2009 animated series that was on Cartoon Network that was simply entitled Transformers Animated. I think he actually debuted a little bit before that in uh, IDW Comics, but funny thing is, I knew exactly who this guy was when he appeared on screen, even though he doesn't really look like his incarnations in animated form, but I could just tell the whole bounty hunter concept and the transforming into a muscle car is very consistent, and the hook on his hand is very consistent with other uh, versions of him, and yeah, he is a great third faction. You notice in the, in the plot summary, I called him a Transformer. I did not call him a Decepticon. 
because he's not. He's a Transformer bounty hunter. You know, when they make toys of him, they put a Decepticon logo on him because he's got to be the bad guy, but he's really not. He's in between. So it's interesting to think of, oh, wow, hey, there are Transformers who are not either Autobot or Decepticon. You know, that starts expanding the mythos. Yeah, and I liked that a lot. Now, in the comics or whatever, the animated series, is he working for the creators of the Transformers, or is this something completely new for this movie? Because it's a hook that actually has me, dare I say, intrigued. Lockdown himself, uh, I don't think, worked for the creators. There's been a lot in the mythos that I hope to never have to explain to someone, because I don't fully understand myself, about the creators of the Unicron Primus twin brothers connection, you know, and, and the creators, the one and all these people who created the Transformers. I mean, you know, you said Unicron. I went back to the 86 movie. I'll wiki it later. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things that they're opening up a lot. And, and I think Michael Bay and folks themselves have said, hey, we're intentionally asking a few questions here that we're not going to answer. But there's a lot of hints around, hey, in the 86 movie, you guys saw the Quintessons. I wonder if they're part of the creators. They're the ones in the animated series and some versions of the comics who built the original Transformers. Now, interestingly enough, there was a lockdown action figure, a, a toy of the uh, Transformable character that was made under the Revenge of the Fallen banner. I don't know what the tie-in was or if we were you know, led to believe that he was part of that or maybe he was in a video game or something. Looks nothing like this lockdown we have here. But interestingly enough, he was also a playable character in a couple of the Dark of the Moon video games. So again, I didn't play any of those games or for the DS. And I don't know if this is the same lockdown or a coincidence that they reused the name, but he has appeared here and there ever since he showed up in the mid-2000s. Is it weird that I'm getting excited, though? And it's because I watched this stuff as a kid. Like, when they bring up stuff from that Transformers the movie here, like Dinobots, and later we're going to be talking about, of all freaking things that I never expected to say again in my life, this word that's coming out of my mouth, Galvatron. And they're bringing things from a movie I didn't like, but I'm excited to see the callbacks and being done in a new way. And so you say Unicron and Crintison, and my sphincter closes up because I'm like, no, I don't want to go back there. The Junkions. Oh, my God. And yet, if it's done like this movie, I might be interested. I mean, the thing to know about Transformers folklore is that there is a version of Unicron in almost every one of them. It always comes down to Unicron. Unicron's the one who always turns Megatron into Galvatron. You know, we don't see that exactly play out here, but you're right. Once you hear Galvatron, you're thinking, ooh, you know, where else are they going to go? Back to Lockdown, I don't know if you guys remember me saying this versus Dark of the Moon, but they did with Lockdown what I had hoped they would have done with Shockwave in Dark of the Moon. You know, they made him sort of the, really the, the main antagonist. Here's a movie where you have Megatron, who's now Galvatron, of course, and that makes sense to a Transformers fan, but he's not the main baddie. He's just the setup guy. In rewatching the trilogy, I realized how sucky a bad guy Megatron really was. In the first one, he's asleep <laughs> exactly. for most of the movie. In the second one, he's answering to the fallen. And in the third one, he's brain damaged. And in this one, he's just sitting in the back. Megatron sucks. Give me lockdown. It's funny you're bringing this up because I actually had this problem problem in this movie. Every time I thought Optimus Prime was about to fight Galvatron, who's basically Megatron 2.0, something would happen, and by the end of the fight, he was actually fighting Lockdown. And I'm like, wait, where did that happen? And what happened to Galvatron? I literally can't tell you in each scene that he comes up, how he exits the scene. I have no idea how they handle Galvatron. <laughs> it's like he disappears. It's like he's magic. He goes, here I am! I am Galvatron! Poof! 
gone, and he becomes locked down. <laughs> it's a strange thing, but it happens with a fight on the road, and at the climax, I think, oh, wow, he just cut Galvatron in half. That's awesome. Oh, wait, that was locked down. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, Galvatron gets one fight against Optimus, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Lockdown, the way they introduce him, even, is during an attack on Ratchet, and it's being done by Cemetery Wind, and... They just seemed like they're going to take Ratchet hostage, but there's this Transformer, he's got a night scope and a sniper rifle. I think he's a third faction in this fight. And let's look at the whole conspiracy. The fact that the CIA is working with an alien bounty hunter to round up Transformers is... Something I didn't expect coming in kind of made me think of an X-Files-ish kind of turn. It was an unexpected twist that made me do a double take, and I found it kind of cool. But it also means we don't need the human beings. Kelsey Grammer has these black ops people that show up with guns that never accomplish anything because in the end, he has to call the special asset this alien transformer, which is the one that if anything gets done, it's because of lockdown. So of course you like him. He's the one that catches Optimus Prime. He's the one that does the cool things. The Black Ops are useless. Yeah, my first sort of plot hole, for lack of a better word, here is how would have Kelsey Grammer's character possibly gotten in touch with Lockdown? Why is Lockdown looking for them to help me get Optimus? They hang out in the Arctic. They're hanging out on an iceberg. Yeah, you know. No, no, but that's not their first encounter. You mean you didn't read a prequel comic, Jerry, that explains all this? (laughs) It wasn't from a lack of trying, Arnie. There aren't any. That's part of the hype I was talking about. There's no novels. There's no prequel comics. I tried. I tried. Hey, boys, first time I'm going to do it on the show. Roll out. Don't ask. (laughs) No, it's very interesting because it's, hey, I'll give you this seed if you can deliver me Optimus. Well, okay, it looks like you're doing a pretty good job of it yourself, but... Yeah, he gives him the seed, even though he was the one that got Optimus in the net. Like, why even bother? Why pay for what you did? Well, because Kelsey Grammer picked up the phone and said Optimus is at this location. So It was their Galvatron who pinned him down, so that part didn't bother me, but I just kind of figured, I I like Lockdown enough, and I thought he was competent enough that I figured he was eventually going to get Optimus anyway. Yeah, I thought Lockdown was good, and I did like this conspiracy theory because one of the big problems I had with the last three films was there were so many factions. Hell, I'll extend it to the animated one too. There were too many factions in that. But here, really what you have is you have Lockdown, who's in conjunction with Cemetery Wind. But then it turns out that Harold Adinger, who's running Cemetery Wind, is in league with this company... KSI, Kinetic Solutions Incorporated, run by Joshua Joyce, Stanley Tucci, the Steve Jobs guy that Jerry referred to. And so they're all in cahoots to build their own Transformers because they're getting rid of the Transformers. What Adinger sees is a future where we don't need human soldiers, that we could just build Transformers and send them off to war, kind of like they did at the beginning of part three, and make a mint that way through government defense contracts using this Transformium. So really, you just have these evil group of humans aided by one bounty hunter against all Transformers, and now that they're in on it, 
Cade and his family. Yeah, basically what you're saying is that the military and the private technology corporation are in bed with one another, which can be tied back to real life. I mean, I think we've seen Snowden leaks that have alleged such a thing in which, yes, our Silicon Valley and the Pentagon are in cahoots. I think this is a good allied partnership, and it makes Kelsey Grammer have a human face. For much of this, he's sneering, he's evil, but at the same time, who wouldn't celebrate a solution in which Americans don't have to die in combat again? I think that that's an altruistic end, but he goes about it in a very terrible way. Agreed. And you mentioned Snowden, and I definitely had some thoughts about Snowden and leaks and conspiracies during this, but I also did feel like the position that Optimus is in, and Cade for that matter, is really kind of tapping into something, dare I say, in the American zeitgeist right now, because we have this whole disaffected portion of the population, the Occupy Wall Street people, those who just don't trust those in power, and who are starting to believe America isn't a great country and want to give up because of politicians and secrecy and black ops operations and things, kind of the way Optimus is ready to give up on humanity. I feel that what Bay is doing here is trying to create a scenario that fantasticizes the current American state where a lot of people are starting to look at our declining economy, our declining global position, and view us as Rome in the fall, and say, you know, at the end, the big speech is, you've got to have faith. But I actually think this movie's about something, and that's strange. And here I was thinking that Bay was just getting revenge on being embarrassed at his tech conference flop. Remember a couple years ago when he was supposed to unveil something from Sony and he ended up staring into a camera when the teleprompter failed and looking stupid? I think that that's why he wants to savage this Steve Jobs character played by Stanley Tucci so much, is that this guy's always got a word for something. He's always like, I want a sound when I enter that says, boundless transcendent. You know, he's got a vocabulary. I think Michael Bay is very threatened by intelligent people, and I just got the sense that he wanted to make technology the bad guys because eggheads make him feel stupid when the teleprompter dies. He can't speak in their language. Ah, but this character Joshua Joyce also impressed me by not being a one-dimensional baddie. He comes in, and yeah, I immediately got a Steve Jobs thing. We don't make technology. We make music. We make poetry. And... All of that while he turned some Transformium into Beats by Dre, which was an obvious product placement, but coincidentally, they were just bought by Apple. Yeah. But Joyce, for all his Steve Jobishness, changes sides, has a conscience, becomes a good guy. If he was being savage the way you say, Stuart, he would be just as evil, plus buffoonish, but stay on Attinger's side this whole time. One thing that I like that they tied in with what you're saying, though, Arnie, is it was Cade who appealed to him from an inventor to an inventor perspective and, and basically kind of kind of worked at the pride aspect of it with, you know, this thing that he invented, that this thing that he thinks he controls, Galvatron, is actually the one in control. Even though it should be obvious, because every time they try to make that transformium into Galvatron and it keeps looking like Megatron, I wonder what that could mean. <laughs> Not good things. <laughs> but he kept insisting 
throughout the whole thing, hey, why do you speak? Why that fire? No, we're in control. We're in control. And you're right. There was a turning point there that, and it's weak. I understand it's weak. I don't know what the strong bond among inventors is, if there's an honor among thieves, among uh, inventors or not. But he appealed to him like, hey, you and I are the same kind of guy. And I know you're not a complete homicidal maniac. The problem I have is that Stanley Tucci, while a fine actor and has good moments here, is still being asked to give the John Turturro performance. That He's a villain, but he's made a mockable villain. Whereas Kelsey Grammer, we never laugh at him. We're always fearful of what he and his black ops are going to do. But Stanley Tucci, he's a buffoon. He's screaming at people to change artwork that he insisted putting up. And he just he's just so full of himself. He's pretentious and silly. And even if he's a genius, he's a handful as well. And so I feel like he's a mockable character, particularly in the second half when he goes on the run. I think we're always meant to be annoyed by him, even though he doesn't end up being the villain he starts out to look like. I I agree. Now, I do have a confession. I had heard Stanley Tucci was in this movie, and that was the reason I went back and watched the past three, because I got him confused with John Turturro. They've done a couple (laughs) movies together. And I got completely confused. And I'm like, reboot? If they're bringing back Simmons, this isn't a reboot. Now, what the hell was he doing? And I went back and rewatched them. And then I'm watching this whole movie. I'm like, where's John Turturro? (laughs) So I do see the similarities there. But I think the difference is Tucci plays it better. Yes. Tucci plays it straighter. Yes, he's a buffoonish character, but he never becomes completely off the rails insane the way Totoro did in the second and third movies especially. Here, yes, he's a buffoon and he's shown to be incompetent, but by the time he gets there, he is got a heart of gold and he's completely on the side of the righteous. And so while he is a comedic character, certainly much better at it than Shane, he at no point became the annoyance again, like Totoro. He did to me, but not as often. Now, I I also wondered if that's what it would be like working on a set with Bay after seeing every woman he puts in his films. I mean, basically, (laughs) this character Joyce, he is hitting on every woman that works for him. There's this blonde geologist, and then there's this really effective ninja head of their factory in China, Su Yuming, and he's, like, trying to hit on all of them. I'm like, I kind of figure that's what Megan Fox had to go through. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't think that this is Bay. It would be wonderful if this was Bay being self-effacing and showing that his follies as a director. If this were meant to be the Michael Bay character, I would think that's great. I don't see it that way. I see it more as him labeling smart people as a threat to him and, and the rest of us see i could just picture michael bay preparing the pyrotechnics and going we're not making explosions because it's in slow-mo we're making music we're making poetry Uh, you'd have to ask aaron Kruger and get him drunk first but you know (laughs) did the screenwriter make a mockery of the man who directs his scripts it would be interesting to know i did think about those parallels but i just don't believe that bay would sign off on that he doesn't strike me as someone that has a good sense of humor about himself or even a good sense of humor (laughs) probably not but that's where i was going and during all this though here is where we get that kick-ass female i mean Stuart, you said that tessa wasn't very good she's made up for in spades by the female jackie chan sue yuming 
I mean, she kicks all kinds of ass. I guess she does. She didn't feel very well integrated here. You talked about them trying to placate the Chinese audience. I felt like this was thrown in here. In fact, all of these scenes in Hong Kong where they're running up and borrowing motorcycles from actors that I don't recognize, I'm thinking that these must play much bigger, that these are probably stars that are recognizable to a Chinese mainland audience that Americans just don't know. I didn't know them. That would make sense for that guy on the elevator, because I'd be like, who's this guy? And then all of a sudden he breaks out massive moves. Yeah, don't get it. Yeah, and actually, uh, the actress there, Bing Bing, had actually said that because of her earlier works in kung fu movies that Michael Bay just gave her that scene for that reason alone. Now, it's probably tied in what you talked about earlier, not just as a favor to her, but the integration of the Chinese audience. But yeah, it, it is weird for the character because we just see her as a, uh, you know, she manages the production plant there in Beijing, right? And she says, before my MBA, uh, I was military police trained. Oh, well, that's convenient. And then you're right, this, <laughs> this dude in the elevator who it's just, I guess he sees two guys picking on a girl and he, he becomes Jackie Chan and, and drops one of them. And then we don't see him again. It's Hong Kong. Everyone knows Kung Fu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except for the bad guys. But no, I thought it was kind of cool. I was I had to look up what her role was because there's so many people at this office. There's the fat geek who has the more than meets the eye ringtone and the brony yeah <laughs> he's playing with a my little pony for a little bit there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah nice product placement there and all of that that when sue shows up i am trying to figure out who she is in relation i'm like is she his bodyguard because she's like calling for choppers and has friends in the government and kicking ass and then she says she has an mba so yeah even on two watchings, thank you, Wiki, for telling me who the hell she was. I'm wondering if they couldn't have cut this. You know how Iron Man 3 apparently had scenes for China that, that were not shown in the American cut? I'm wondering if some of these scenes could have just been in the Chinese cut and we could have been getting to the real action sooner. I mean, this is a Transformers movie. <laughs> Tell me one scene in this movie you're not sitting here. I think that could have been cut. That seems to be your thesis. I, I think the movie's too long, is my thesis, yes. <laughs> So, I also want to talk about the Transformers. Can we talk about the Transformers? Do you? Because Let's. I think it's amazing that we keep talking about this movie <laughs> and reducing their role to almost nothing. And I think that's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason, and that is because they have the stars that they do and the actors they do, and because they're trying to sell them in a certain way, we lose focus on these Autobots. We lose focus on Optimus Prime. This movie is his story. But you wouldn't know it from our podcast or this script. I'll just kick it off and say that Optimus's band of Autobot, the, the Dirty Four, Dusty Four, whatever they're called, this is a terrible lineup of Autobots for this movie. Well, it's called the Pathetic Dirty Foursome, and I love all four. You know why I love them? No. I could recognize them. Yes. I could recognize them in robot form. I could recognize them in car form. They each are a different color. That's so helpful. Yes! Green, yellow, brown, and blue. I know. I swear to God, Stuart, I think we made a mistake because we were doing retrospective series in 2007 when Transformers 2 came out and we went, why the hell would we do Transformers? We did it for three because it was the end of a trilogy. I think either Kruger and or Bay listened to our shows and took some notes. Every major complaint we had, the baziness, the stupidity, the childishness, and the fact that in robot mode, we couldn't tell them apart, all fixed. All of my baseline, I hate this trilogy because problems, 
were fixed. They started taking the body of the car and putting it on the outside and giving them really distinct body types. Hound is fat, and he's voiced by John Goodman, and he's really, truthfully, the funniest character in this movie. And we have a samurai. I don't know why a Transformer is a samurai if they had ancient feudal culture. Oh, and maybe they're trying to appeal to China. They'd never say his name. I had to, after the fact, look him up. He's Drift. There's the Cockney Crosshairs, and then there's Bumblebee, who I, of course, know. I even noticed this with Ratchet, who had a lot of green on the outside. Speaking of Ratchet, real quick, do you think that's a Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover? Because he transformed into a News 4 van. Isn't that where April O'Neil works? No, but I know who April O'Neil is, and ha ha ha, Megan Fox will be lucky to have a spinoff with Mudflap and Skids, but <laughs> we'll talk about it in a month. <laughs> well, he was supposed to be an ambulance, so I don't know, I didn't catch the Channel 4 part. Did he not have his ambulance? There was a big four on his truck, and I, I thought it said huh. Channel 4, and he was a news truck. I thought it was Bay saying, hey, I got a Mutant Ninja Turtles movie coming out in a month. But I could tell these Transformers apart, they had distinct voices, there was a finite number of them. I mean... Lockdown makes a hell of an impression. Optimus is the only Transformer we have except for Lockdown for about an hour of this film. And when the other four show up, they are distinct. And that's it. And then we get a couple of bad guys. But it is a finite number of CGI monstrosities that I can completely follow and keep separate. I was happy with that. I think we're saying the same thing, Arnie, except that you're just much more enthusiastic about competency than I am. I mean, yeah, that's the way it should always be that way. So I don't get over the moon. I can't scream this is great. I can't say that these four are terrific. But yes, they have addressed problems that allow me to follow who's who and what's going on. I think the analogy is your wound has healed because it's been three years since you suffered through those first three films. For me, I went in there with a big, raw, ugly scab. And when there wasn't salt being poured in it, I was really happy with that. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I never had any problems distinguishing the Transformers from previous movies. I I think that's you guys. But the actual Autobot characters themselves, yeah, you know, Hound's a staple. You know, he's one of the original set of G1 Transformers. I'm glad that Hound is a green military vehicle. That's not too far. I'm not a big fan, though, as what you mentioned, though, with why would a robot be a samurai? Why would he speak in a broken English-Japanese-type accent. I have no idea, and I think it's dumb. I think it's dumb that he looks like that. If you got mudflap and skibs, you can have an Asian, right? <laughs> I couldn't help but to think that. It's like, oh, come on. You, you just had to have a, the stereotype character. You had to have Lucky Charms. You had to have the Transformer. He, he's so Japanese, right? He speaks in haiku. He's dressed like a samurai. He's got the swords, which is kind of cool when he transforms into a helicopter one time, but I don't know why the Corvette guy, Crosshairs, transforms and, and it has like a trench coat on and has an English accent. I, I don't get these choices and they're so dumb. But I can tell who they are. That's why, Jerry. Whether they are pleasing or not, I know the individual characters at this point. Not by name, but by sight. And by being able to follow that, that helps me, someone that's never going to know the names and the origins of these Transformers. I wouldn't have known, I didn't even know he was called Hound, but I knew John Goodman, and I knew who he was throughout the movie, and never got confused. And that's 
a big improvement from any Transformer movie before. I think it's not just us. Anyone who's not into the toys. I can't imagine that Stuart and I are a unique two flowers in the entire culture who right. couldn't tell them apart. You know more about the original toy line than we do, so you aren't going to get as confused when you hear names. But I can't go off names and know who is who. I need to be able to see the difference. But even with that, they don't do much that's distinct to the characters. I mean, he could have put any robot in those roles. You say you can tell them apart it didn't matter if you could tell them apart hound to your point is the only one that i felt like you know all the way to the end was making the big differences in the battles probably did have legitimately some pretty uh you know humorous lines unlike what we've seen in other movies but i don't know it was it was just a missed opportunity for me that's why i said earlier that i kind of wonder what this movie had been like if it had just been optimus prime trying to yes break through all the truths here and and, and put two and two together because he's going to recruit the Dinobots at the end to save the day anyway. Yes, we needed this scene much, much earlier. I there were Somewhere in Utah or Arizona that they're around mesas and they've been traveling on the road and I don't know how he knows how to meet up. I don't know how he gets healed. I don't know how any of this happens, but all of a sudden he has his gang back together and I feel like, wow, this should have been happening at the 30-minute mark. This should not be happening this late. I was okay with the pacing, giving what we had. I mean, I'm just going to go out there and say I don't feel this movie is too long. What? Yeah. That is outrageous. It's three hours long. <laughs> two and a half-ish. I mean, it's 2.37. There's a lot of credits and there's no scenes after it, but trust me on this, it's just over two and a half of picture. Whatever. That's still long. When I got out and looked at my phone, the movie started promptly at 9, I left at midnight. I'm okay with the pacing of this, and I don't want to see this film cut in half. I think there's definitely a half hour you could cut out of it. But I'm okay with this. I don't know how he got healed, and I decided that was the one time I was going to let this movie roll out, is I don't know why he got healed. Or how he found his friends. Yeah. Or what they were going to do, yes. That's the big gimme for this film. It's the only big gimme for this film. I have a hell of a lot more questions like that. We went through a half an hour of questions like that for the first one. There's this one here. The one thing that shocked me, though, all right, I get that Optimus is kind of sick of people, but... These are a bloodthirsty band of robots. <laughs> Optimus is like, I vowed never to kill a human. And Hound just jumps in, big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> they want to kill things. Later, they're on an alien ship, and Hound is like, you're just too repulsive to stay alive. And kills it. I mean, these guys are really vengeful and murderous. <laughs> No, they're dysfunctional. They don't like each other either. I mean, the Japanese one is beating up on Bumblebee for reasons I couldn't quite understand. But Bumblebee can't talk back. <laughs> they need a leader. Though since I got is they've been out in the desert too long. The heat's gotten to them. They needed Optimus to come back and put focus on this. I don't see that they're bloodthirsty and awful. I see that they have lost sight of what they should be doing. And my answer is that, yes, we should have gotten to you much sooner. I'm sorry that you had to wait so long. Well, even Optimus, he's like, I'm going to find who did this and kill them. <laughs> and he does. He does get Kelsey at the end. Yes, he does. I thought that the second viewing. I'm like, he really does go and do that because I had to think back. Does he kill a human? Oh, yep. Kelsey Grammer gets it from Optimus. I mean, Optimus is putting his sword to people's throats. These guys, no, they are wanting to kill this movie they are just so pissed off i mean they kind of brought it on themselves i still think what they did with we're leaving your planet just kidding we're gonna let your city die first 
was a little shitty, but here, they're okay with killing humans, aliens with vagina dentata, or Decepticons, it don't matter. I mean, they're only loyal to Cade and the Jaegers because Optimus has a life debt. Everyone else can die. I mean, Optimus even goes, we're going to get the seed and then we're done with humanity. I mean, Optimus would be fine to let us all burn. I wonder if that's not a mistake. Keep in mind, this movie should be aimed at all ages. It's what, PG-13? I do think that that stuff is a little bit heavier here. I think the impulse was that Bay wanted to show he could make a harder-edged movie, and he's showing it with these characters and in these scenes, that these are a tougher band of Autobot than we've ever seen before. The good guys are a little bit more cynical. It feels kind of like, well, what they did with The Dark Knight, you know, when Batman had to go on the run, and they're now the persecuted. Yeah, they're just not going to be the altruistic. You don't hear Optimus making the flowery speeches that he used to. Thank God. (laughs) I think that it's helpful to set that mood, but why should I like them? I mean, if they're that bitter, I would like to see more scenes of that healing than just their complaining. We know that they're not going to stay that way. We know that's not who they truly are. And this is a hard PG-13 film. They drop the F-bomb, and during that early car chase where Shane's driving, a car hits a tree and guys fly out the window. They didn't survive that. Yeah, I could not help but to think what the body count, human body count of this movie is. If you think about it, I mean, there had to be innocent bystanders getting trampled. And I'm surprised, you know, we talked about Lucas kind of getting it pretty bad uh, when he did. But, you know, if he really got hit in the head like we saw with that 10-foot cannon, that would have cracked his skull wide open. <laughs> I mean, they kind of gave that one. And heck, Shane even, like, cracks that guy in the face when he comes over the ridge there. And his, they have that kind of cool shot of his tire hitting one of the Black Ops guys. And so, yeah, they, they're not pulling punches here, which I'm kind of glad because if 25 foot tall robots were going at like that those kind of things would happen yeah it announces that it's for a slightly older audience it's not for children i would caution any parent that was bringing someone under the age of 10 see it first and decide for yourself it's not got the humor and the kiddiness of the previous films it's funny you say that because i took my 13 year old son to see it last night and i didn't think anything of it and i took my nine-year-old daughter today <laughs> And oh, really? Yes, I did put my hand though, over her eyes during the Lucas scene. When lockdown turned them into uh, Transformium, that okay. one I thought was a little rough and everything else. Yeah, I wish I could have gotten the hands around the ears before the, hey, how do you tell Chinese women to get out of the way? But I didn't, I didn't catch it in time. But there was enough language then throw it out that I, I wish they hadn't done. But yeah, I thought Lucas one was the only one that was gritty enough. That's like, uh, yeah, that'll give her nightmares. You know, I wondered if this was actually Bay, maybe going to show us a little bit of his soul. You know, Optimus keeps saying, I have a soul. I thought maybe Bay was going to, too. It's worth pointing out, there was an innocent bystander that was killed on the set of the last Transformers movie. I wondered if that had an impact on him. I wondered if the, all of this discussion about collateral damage and kill everyone, there's several characters that say that. We see that, yeah, many, many thousands of people's lives are in danger here. I wondered if he was going to take that more seriously. I couldn't really tell that it transpires into anything. Ultimately, I think it was just about upping the stakes, but I, I was very aware of it in this film. But when the Autobot band gets together, I mean, we do get some good action scenes. They quickly take it on the offensive and decide to invade KSI. And I mean, they send the humans in, but quickly Kate is captured. The Autobots infiltrate and we get the fight against, I mean, there's Galvatron who we've talked about, but there's also Stinger who I love because what they did was they called him uh, like Bumblebee in every way. 
but better, which pisses off Bumblebee something fierce, which I think this is in Bumblebee's character. I think he's egotistical having rewatched the first three. I think he definitely would get pissed by that. He's got a temper this time, I noticed that, in fighting with Drift, and yeah, with the idea that anyone would insist that they could better what he was. Yeah, it gives him someone to fight. I mean, it gives everyone needs to have a foil here. If they're going to have all these characters, they need to have someone to combat with, so now we know that, yeah, it's got to be Stinger and Bumblebee. And it's kind of funny, Bumblebee and a Stinger. Mm. Not that funny. No, but a little a little <laughs> clever. And maybe it's because I wasn't being turned off by every portion of this film thus far, but I found myself really getting into that road chase sequence where Galvatron and Stinger are going after them. Galvatron, you talked about the collateral damage, Jerry, and this is where a lot of it comes in. He's taking control of himself and shooting innocent bystanders just to create a roadblock and you get optimus bumblebee and the three humans flying through the air and then bumblebee does this kick-ass john woo hang upside down with two pistols move there are way too many slow-mo shots in this movie this movie's too long if you'd cut down half of these slow-mo shots it would be an hour shorter i can't tell you how many times and yes some of them are spectacular i particularly like the one where the car wheel drives over the black ops face but there are way too many scenes where they slow down the action so they can show you every second of a cool move. That's a Bay trademark. He has done that since Bad Boys. And you take it or you leave it, but you're going to get that in a Bay film. Sometimes it works for me better than others. In this movie, you know, a couple of times it annoyed me when they do kill Lucas and there's all those explosions and the girls running in the front. It just was reminding me too much of what I'd seen way too much with Megan Fox. But when they're doing some of these Autobots flying through the air, I'm kind of glad they're slowing it down so I can see what's going on because the humans are in frame, but they're so insignificant compared to the size of the robots. I love that, but I wouldn't want this to be real time or I wouldn't have caught what happened. Yeah, see, I, I disagree with that, Stuart. I, I think what you're pointing out there with the slow-mo and everything, I have no problem with that. I, I think the things that make this movie too long is the extent of the amount of time that we you know rehash the Battle of Chicago by having things go on there, the amount of time they're on the ship, the amount of fighting they do in Hong Kong before they bring the Dinobots in. Those are the bigger elements that expanded. The slow-mo shots, now that... I'm with Arnie. That's just part of watching a Michael Bay summer movie, and that didn't take me out of it at all. I mean, and and I guess we talk about the collateral damage. I, I guess the one thing we're forgetting is that Dark of the Moon did have these shots of the Decepticons just fish in a barrel shooting humans on the street, you know, when they're taking over Chicago. So it, it might not actually be any more violent than Dark of the Moon. There's a lot of those type of things, highway battles. So I kind of felt like there was th- this movie was a little bit of a greatest hits of the other three movies. And Oh, yes. Every Everything has a parallel. I think it's done better in, in a lot of those cases, but everything you can say, oh, hey, that's just like that scene from the first one, or hey, we're chasing the seed instead of the cube, and it's not Mission City, it's Hong Kong. I already said, hey, lockdown is what I hope Shockwave to be, and it, it's almost as if they just said, hey, let's let's redo those three movies in one, which is why it's two hours and 37 minutes long, and we'll do it better this time. Yeah, well, you're now honing in on probably where my in recommend is going, but it is exactly that, is how much of this action stuff, and I do think the technology has gotten better feels particularly new how many things do we see that we say wow i've never seen that in a transformers movie before what's key about this is that there are numerous action scenes many in slow-mo lots of redundancies lots of dragging things out and yet i feel like many of these things are things that i had already seen processed and enjoyed better earlier 
There is nothing in any of the three previous films, with the exception of Megan Fox's oiled body, that I enjoyed more than something in this film. Yeah, but that sounds like because they fixed the storytelling, you're able to enjoy the action better, where, in fact, many of this action stuff, it's redundancy. He has done it before. I can remember. I don't even have the movies clearly in mind, and they were calling back to me from years ago. Many of these things. And so, yeah, you guys, it sounds like, are getting into these action scenes. I'm going, yeah, it's another Transformers action scene. What's the time on this now? Here's the thing for action for me, though. And I had this problem when we were doing some of those other films, is for action to matter, I don't care how spectacularly it's staged, how well it's programmed, any of that, if I don't care about the character's It's nothing to me. It's a car ad. And here, because I was into the story, I was into the creation of Galvatron, I was into the raid on KSI, I suddenly started to care about these action scenes. I actually think they had some more spectacular set pieces, like the collapsing building in Dark of the Moon. But here, there was nothing in Dark of the Moon where I cared if somebody lived or died. And here, I mean, they killed Lucas, and they always kill a Transformer. So I think there's stakes here that I never felt before. The stakes primarily are about Optimus, though. It's not about humans. I mean, nothing bad is really going to happen, win or lose with these robots. Basically, we could just let Lockdown take them away. There's nothing on human society. Kelsey Grammer's right. The country will be safer once these Autobots are gone off the planet. This time he's right. They tried to do it in part two. Two and part three, and they were wrong in both cases, but this time, yes, if they could just get the Transformers off the planet, theoretically, we'd all be safer, except they left the seed. Now, the seed confuses me a little bit, because I understand that Megatron slash Galvatron is behind it all. Because if the seed explodes, it's going to make a whole bunch of Transformium. And Joyce thinks that he can use that Transformium to build his army, but in fact, Megatron is planning to have a whole army of Decepticons. But they're saying it's a thermonuclear tactical missile is all. I don't understand how one nuclear missile can wipe out the dinosaurs or how one nuclear missile is going to take out all of us. The threat made is if this goes off, humans are extinct. But then they also say it's just going to take out a big city. Right. And that's a separate storyline. The Galvatron, Megatron thing is almost an afterthought that doesn't come into play until the last third of the movie. For much of this movie, it's about we got to find Optimus Prime. Bad guys want to either kill him or hand him off to this bounty hunter who's going to drag him back to the creators. So human stakes are low. Yeah, I mean, the Comparison of the nuclear weapon to the bomb, I think, was specific to its, like, blast radius, like how far out it would go. The thing that confused me about the seed was is that if you drop it in an abandoned area, do you just create the transformium? If you blow it up, though, where there are biologicals, do you turn them into pseudo-mechanical creatures? That's where I thought the Dinobots were coming. If we saw an opening in which dinosaurs were coated with metal, I presume that since I know later there's going to be robot dinosaurs, that's where they came from. But they back away from that. That's not the explanation at all. Yeah, they don't go there. Darcy goes to the site early on in the movie and sees what I thought to be Grimlock. We later see Lockdown's ship in that general area, so I figured maybe he took him. But then Optimus later refers to him as the legendary warriors that I guess he just happened to run into because he took that portion of Lockdown's ship. So even I'm confused. Oh, 
but you're helping me. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Maybe maybe we can piece it together. <laughs> you're right. You know, you did. You solved it. Those were the Dinobots that she found at the beginning of the movie. He has a trophy case. We know he was in the Arctic to talk to Kelsey Grammer, so he must have found them. We were missing that piece. It's, it's a big piece, by the way. It's huge. But he found them. He took them. I would think humans would be more protective of that. They would notice if a spaceship moved away with a new historical discovery, but they didn't. And so he has this whole cool ship full of things he's collected all over the universe. That's not how I take it at all, because Optimus... He knows them. Yeah, he refers to them as legendary warriors. He knows what they are. I think this movie doesn't tell us if it's a coincidence that we start with real dinosaurs and end with dinobots, or if there's a causation there. But the way this movie comes across is there is a little baziness. There's just dinosaurs at the beginning and dinosaurs at the end, but there's no relation between them. That's how it comes across. It's a mistake. If you're going to take me there in the beginning, it's got to mean something. I assumed from trailers and preparing myself for the movie that Optimus was going to discover them for the first time and bring them in as warriors because that's pretty much how the Dinobots formed up in the original television show in in the 80s but you you know Stuart, that's how i think it plays but that can't possibly be right i mean i just think he was kissing their ass basically what you're talking about when he was calling them legendary warriors he basically realized that they're in hong kong or just outside of hong kong and he realizes he needed some people better than drift and bumblebee and the green one i still don't know who the hell that one was but he knows he needs a better crew (laughs) and so he's kissing their ass and saying oh yeah you guys are so great you're legendary I've never heard of you, but you're legendary. And so that's why he gets to ride a dinosaur into the climax. Maybe part five will explain it. Or probably not. There's always that moment where Optimus Prime says a head scratcher. I think it's a trademark. They have to do it in every movie. In the first movie, he's fighting Megatron. Megatron says, humans need to die. And Optimus says, they deserve the right to choose. I always thought that was a stupid, stupid (laughs) line. In this one, Optimus says to the Dinobots, we're giving you freedom! You defend my family or die. The hell kind of freedom is that? That's weird. (laughs) He puts the sword to his throat and threatens him. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of freedom right there. I think dino slavery here. Yeah, very inspired. (laughs) And and then Crosshair says, like, man, he just goes and says something like that makes you want to die for the guy. (laughs) Well, you don't have a choice. He'll kill you if you don't. (laughs) This is freedom to a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if there's anything, Stuart, to me that was too long in this movie, this is where I checked my watch because I'm a little bit like Arnie that even though I know the, the movie was physically long, I kept up with it, liked where it was going, where it was taking me. I thought we spent a little too much time on the ship. Yep. Felt like I got transported into an Aliens movie or something. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but I really started checking out during the the, the whole battle in Hong Kong. No, no. That best stuff's always at the end of every Transformer. Oh. That's always the case. Every single battle is always the best one at the end. The stuff here in Hong Kong looks great. Oh, looks great. I'm just saying it's probably too long. Oh, the movie's too long no th- this particular battle at the end the hong kong thing drags if it were happening 40 minutes earlier think how much more you would be into mark Wahlberg climbing down the side of this high rise with the black ops guy dropping air conditioning units on him i mean oh but i like that because that was early on i'm talking about the, the moment that it's just transformers fighting transformers the dinobots come in and you see those four different dinobots just flailing around and 
I got to the point that when the other three, I thought Grimlock, the T-Rex, was easy to recognize, but the other three, they just kind of got lost. There are times where they're stopped. The Triceratops was pretty clear. They were just scaly silver, and they got a little mishmash, but they're just flailing around. Then you got Lockdown's Magnet coming. I don't know what the Magnet's doing. I don't know why that's happening. Because it happened in Man of Steel. I mean, it was the same exact (sighs) effect, right? Lift everything up, drop it down. Lift everything up, drop it down. It's funny you said that because I made a list of all the movies in the last couple years. I'm sure I'm missing a ton that had done the big city battle at the end. And Man of Steel's on my list. Yeah, but here's the thing. Weren't you surprised that the Dinobots were coming so late and that this is all they're given to do? I realize that they inspire the climax. They help add to the fun. One of the few cheer moments of my audience was when he gets on that thing, straddles it, and then breathes fire. I mean, people were ready for it. I think they were ready for it earlier. They sold us that this was the Dinobot movie, and I don't think they'd get much more time than the construction crew did in the second movie. See, I'm going to side with Jerry. I think that this movie peaked in the battle in Chicago where they go on that ship and they find all the aliens and they set up the Dinobots because they go, well, don't want to know what's in that big cell. And there's the escape down the ropes. And every Transformers movie does this. It does have too much of a climax where we just finished the thing in Chicago. Bay gives us like five minutes to take a piss and catch our breath. And then we have this even bigger Beijing battle. And it's like dating a nymphomaniac. At some point, it's like, aren't you done? Well, it's Beijing and Hong Kong. Don't get confused. There's two different cities here. There's one where the factory is, and then there's the city that gets attacked in the end. Yeah, consolidate that. You don't need two cities in China. Make it one. It made me want to go visit China. I will be dead serious about that. I'm like, that looks really pretty. I want to go to there. No, yeah, that's what I mean about the excitement of this climax is that it's largely, it's just not an environment. These are structures. These are skylines. I don't normally see in any action movie. I watch foreign films. I still don't see these kinds of sizes of battles when I see Chinese films. So it's very exciting for me in that respect. This, to me, is the best battle, even though am I fatigued? Has it taken too long? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it probably is the best battle, but by this point, I'm spent. I will say this. They've finally given the humans something that makes them equal to the robots. For all of the Transformer movies, I always kind of just kind of rolled my eyes when humans tried to have fights comparable to what the robots can do. But when Mark Wahlberg and Shane get alien lasers, it does level the playing field. They can now compete. They can now take on any robot aggressor that should come at them. They fixed the problem of humans fighting Transformers. Yeah, I kind of like that. I, I thought it was funny because it looks like big swords and axes and they finally realized oh it's a gun yeah no I, I thought that was pretty cool especially when you consider that since it was lockdown's trophy case they clearly w- were not picking up the weapon of a 20-foot transformer if it was is the more equivalent of a dagger that ended up being a large weapon for them to carry that's how i actually read it is that it was a small transformer weapon that humans were barely able to wield And that might be true, but I thought it was, you know, Lockdown Ship, if it did nothing for me, it just made me realize that, hey, there's all kinds of these creatures, and Lockdown really gets around the universe and and starts telling us that this whole world has got far more alien creatures, and God knows what Optimus Prime is going to actually encounter in the next two movies. It does put that little seed, no pun intended, that little seed in my mind of where it could go. 
And again, talking about the creators, talking about the knights, starting a new mythology. I mean, I know that they had said initially this was going to be a reboot or it wasn't going to have ties. It takes place in the same world with the same Autobots. But I like that they're setting up a new dilemma here. Yeah, Megatron, Galvatron, he's stumbling around in the background, but they're talking about Optimus Prime is one of the knights, and the knights had this ship. It was their ship, and Lockdown commandeered it to become his bounty hunting vessel. But they went out to explore the universe from their creators, who even Optimus doesn't remember, but they weren't created to have free will. They were created to do a duty. They were machines. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Matrix. See, I'm glad you picked up on that, Arnie, and and I picked up on the concepts, but I'll be honest with you, I could not understand what Lockdown was saying, just the way his words were coming out, I didn't piece all of that together exactly. I'm glad you said that because I I didn't think it was clear. If I was watching this at home, I would have turned on some closed captioning there to actually understand the words being used, which, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, and, and maybe we will. Maybe we should do it now, but the whole thing about Optimus two movies ago was a descendant of the Primes, and the Primes were the big deal of the founding of Cybertron and how they went out to the, the different worlds to harvest the sun, and that's how where we got the fallen. You know, the mythos is changing a little bit, which in the vacuum of this movie does fine, but it does kind of make you scratch your head that, you know, I think they did a good job of rebooting it without rebooting it. It's not a 2002 Spider-Man and now we have a 2012 Spider-Man where you're like, man, are we rebooting already just inside of 10 years or four years between five years between movies? Would we really want it to be a hard reboot? You do if you don't like those movies and I don't. So yeah, (laughs) it's totally fine for me to say, oh yeah, any Anything that they tried to explain to me and they did not do a very good job of it does not count anymore. Tell me a mythology. It's not rebooting a mythology. Finally, tell me something I can understand. I'm going along with this. And in fact, I wanted more of this out of this movie. If this new trilogy is about Optimus Prime finding out who his creators are and getting some kind of vengeance or at least protecting himself from their wrath, I think that this movie should have had a lot more of that and a lot less of Texas trash pickers. And I like that it wasn't so important that it didn't end up feeling like Prometheus where by the end of the movie, I felt like I had blue balls because it never told me anything. Here, what they're doing is giving me a consolidated story about the Autobots and the Cemetery Wind and basically overcoming their human persecutors while laying seeds that they could pick up on in future films. Now, Bay and the studio is being coy. They're like, we haven't really planned a trilogy. We have nothing in production. We have no scripts being written. We're seeing how this film is being done. That's what they said as of two days ago. Yeah, but it's not true. I know that they've hired (laughs) Darren Kruger to write the next one. Well, they said that they would like it to be successful, but they take nothing for granted. And so they're just trying to take it one movie at a time. But I see the seeds here planted and I've been burned too many times to really say I'm excited for what's next. But I'm curious. Yeah, as it wraps up here, they basically, yeah, Mark Wahlberg now approves of his daughter dating this Shane character. Galvatron... Again, I thought he was in the final battle. Then he decides to go away to come back for a sequel. Don't know what happened to him. We know that Lockdown is dead, dead, dead. He got carved in half. We know that Kelsey is dead, dead, dead. He got shot. And we know that Joyce has had some teachable moments here about uh, his pursuit of power and developing technology. He'll probably be in the sequels. 
but he will not be launching the seed. The seed is going with Optimus into outer space. On a jetpack? I'm like, he used to need a spaceship. This is one hell of a jetpack if it's going to be an intergalactic jetpack. Yeah, that was sort of out in left field, wasn't it? But now suddenly he can fly. Yeah, if he could do that, he could have left the planet years ago. <laughs> yeah, but he picked it up out of that ship. They stole the oh. leg of the ship. It was more equipment from the bounty hunters thing. But why did the bounty hunter need a ship? I guess for prisoners? Yeah, but I at the same time, I, I don't know why he didn't use that more thoroughly throughout the battle, but whatever. Yeah, he only picked it up when he got the Dinobots. I guess at that point, you got Dinobots, right? And I like that he just sets the Dinobots free. They never speak, so no me, Grimlock, none of that, yeah. which I kind of wanted. <laughs> but he's like, you've done well, and just sets them off to terrorize humanity. <laughs> they are going to rampage China. Oh, good point. Yeah, that is where they're left, huh? Maybe they'll go to Jurassic Park. I don't know if that or if, like, they'll head east and Godzilla will head west and they'll meet up. Some crossovers. Yeah, I see the potential. It was the mistaken Mecha Godzilla is going to show up. <laughs> mm. But yeah, he was just like, you go on ahead. I mean, they seem like berserkers who will destroy anything. I imagine a cutscene that we didn't get, uh, similar to the one of Thor Dark World, where the creature uh, was just still rampaging through, like, the parking lot, and <laughs> we kind of forgot about them. <laughs> so, Jerry, Stuart, do you recommend Transformers Age of Extinction? Jerry. Yeah, you know, like I said, this movie came off to me as the greatest hits. And to me, that's not a bad thing. I've bought greatest hits albums of my favorite musicians, and that in of itself is not an issue for me. At least it's the greatest hits, right? And I think they're played a little bit better, and I think they're actually joined more cohesively. I, I like the story in here. I mean, I as a parent myself, the whole story about, you know, Cade and his relationship with his daughter was, was one I could follow, and I like Mark Wahlberg enough and the strength of this cast enough that I think it carried it. The plot with the daughter and just, you know, his what Cade wanted to be as a father, I guess, is something that, hey, I, I had no problem with that. I I could follow that. That's to me that works. At the same time, though, with being the fourth movie in the franchise, I wish it had really taken it up to the next level. We still had things like, well, the Dinobots are a big part of the marketing. The amount of toys for Grimlock is just, it's huge. You can get Grimlock in about any size and price point you want on shelf. But they show up at the last minute. Why they're there is not very well explained. And that's the typical part of, you know, particularly like Revenge of the Fallen, like, that's Jetfire coming in out of nowhere, being kind of silly and then leaving and then showing up at the end to give his parts for no reason to Optimus Prime. You know, you still have that here. So it's it's certainly not without its flaws. As a Transformer fan, you know, as following the boards, I've been very interested in hearing what other people had to say about other Transformers fans. And by and large, it's been pretty positive. One person I saw in particular said, best live action Transformers movie ever. But this isn't a critic or anyone with a blog or anything. This was just one post. And I said, yeah, you know what? I, I guess I would agree with that. But, you know, two was, that was the one I didn't recommend. I thought three had some problems. I didn't even necessarily like the humor in the first one. But I think this movie did very well. I give this movie a recommend. I think for the summer blockbuster high-octane, high-action movie. It's going to be one you want to see. I saw it both in 2D and 3D, and everyone, everyone's saying, hey, if you're going to go see this movie, see it in 3D IMAX. I agree with the IMAX part, and I'm not sure if you have a choice. It, IMAX and 3D may be coupled together. I didn't think the 3D was spectacular. It didn't take me out of it. It was fine, but... Having seen it both ways, I, I love seeing it on the big IMAX screen, but I, I think visually this movie's great. Uh, I think the, the action's fantastic. And the story, Arnie, yeah, I'm glad to hear 
you saying the things you've said, I could follow the story. Things didn't pop up out of nowhere or inexplicably shift from point A to point B without any rhyme or reason. I'm sure there was some of it, but as I said earlier, it wasn't glaringly obvious like it had been in other movies. So I think if you choose to go see this movie, you're going to enjoy it. And if you're a Transformers fan, well, you've seen it already. You absolutely have to check out this movie. I, I think it's a lot of fun. And just to interject on the 3D, there's a couple of scenes with floating ash where it was so good in 3D in my real D theater that it felt like I had something up my nose. But other than that, I didn't recognize it. <laughs> Stuart. You know, as someone that has given red arrows to every single Transformers movie, I am happy to say that there are reasons to consider going green this time. Bay has made capital improvements. This thing is much more coherent as a plot. I can tell good guys from bad when the robots are fighting. The bad toilet humor is largely absent here. Better job. Undoubtedly his best directing of the Transformers. There's some breathtaking action scenes. I love the Hong Kong stuff, the high rise, the Dinobots. There's stuff that's just undeniably cool. Plus I'm on a roll this year. I just want to point out every film I've had to watch for now playing in theaters 2014, Green Arrow. Wolf of Wall Street, Robocop, Captain America, Spider-Man, X-Men, even Godzilla. They've all been good. I want to continue this trend, but I don't care. And that's just the bottom line is ultimately I found this movie to be numbing, particularly at its three-hour length. I found that what is good about it is stuff I've seen in previous Transformer movies. There wasn't enough new here to feel like it was fresh. And so while I think that if you've liked any previous Transformer movie, you should definitely check it out. I guess it's the best Transformer movie since, although I think that there were sequences I enjoyed just as much or more in Transformers 1 and 3. Bay has tricked out the same car with a couple new decals. This has got some goodwill for being better, but it's still not good enough to cross the finish line green. I'm going to go mild, not recommend. You see, I think I've been too effusive about this film. I didn't love it. But again, I feel like a man who has been trapped in a cell as I rewatched the first three Transformers films, two of them back to back. Imagine I'm reading The Stand right now, and there's a scene where a guy is left in a cell, and he has no food, and all he can do is club a rat to death and then slowly munch on this rotting rat for nourishment, and he has to draw it out because he doesn't know if he'll ever escape. And that's how I felt. I felt like Lloyd in The Stand while watching those Transformers films. And now I'm out and I'm eating bread. It's just plain bread, but it's not moldy. It's not rancid. It's not going to make me puke. This is by far and away the best Transformer film. Live action, animated, I don't care. This one is one that didn't anger me. I went in, arms crossed, expecting more torture. It was like if I was visiting a dominatrix and I wasn't into punishment. And I felt like I was going in for another session of whipping, and it turned out that it was just going to be some nice chit-chat. Some banal chit-chat and conversations about the weather and nothing very interesting that I haven't seen a thousand times before, but it's pretty rote. The question then really becomes, is it recommendable, though? It's so much better than what's come before, but what's come before has been the primordial ooze, so something has crawled out of it. But do I recommend it? And I'm right there on the line. I mean, Stuart, you went weak, not recommend. This film had no glaring flaws, making it the best. You know what? Because it interested me in this story of the creators, because it actually made me 
want to go back for more. It makes me hope that it's only two years from now that the three of us gather together again and start discussing the creators. And that story may well suck, I understand. Their Bay's batting average with Transformers isn't very good for me. But Stuart, like you, I am read down the row on Transformers films until today. I'm going to give this a green arrow, a mild recommend. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I couldn't see you not giving it a green arrow after the two-hour review you just gave. I don't know, you might be having a morning-after syndrome here, but I think you like it even more than mildly. No, no, the problem is it's bland. It's average. Average is great for a Transformers film, though. (laughs) You know, compared to what it's standing next to... It is so much better. It's like going to that car lot from Bernie Mac and having three junkers and then Bumblebee, you know? it's. I think we're all saying that, right, Jerry? We're all saying this is the best one. If, if you can only see one Transformer film, this is the one to see? For me, that's absolutely. Overall, yes. The only reason I hesitate is I don't know how much of this movie would make sense if you didn't have the background for, for at least the first one of them coming to Earth and meeting humans. But how many of them make sense anyway? <laughs> exactly. Hey, I, I recommended two of the three of them, so don't go there with me. I They make sense to me. I don't like the execution in, in all places, and I think the second one's horrible, but you know it makes yes. sense, but I, I see what you're saying. I think this one by far is the best plot, the best acted one, strongest cast, obviously six years worth of special effects advancements. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the word we kept using in the first three reviews was streamlined. It's the most streamlined. It still may be too long for Stewart's taste, but... It's the longest one ever made. It's not streamlined. <laughs> it is, because there's less groups. It's less characters to try to follow. It's less... The cast may be streamlined. <laughs> the story could use some more pruning, but anyway. Yeah, it's, it's fewer people doing more logical things, though. So I guess if we ever review Armageddon, you won't want the extended director's cut as the <laughs> one you're watching, is what I'm hearing. I'm hoping I'm never on that one, but <laughs> I'm still not won over by Bay. There's not a film of his that I haven't seen that I would want to, I, I don't think, but I think he's getting better. I'm just not sure that he'll ever get good enough to get the green. My credit to Bay... He is out of his 21st century tailspin to me. He's made two movies in two years that I would recommend after just repeated shit ever since 2001's Pearl Harbor. So, Bay, congrats. You're back in your heyday for me, which, you know, was fairly good with Armageddon. I think, you know, this isn't Armageddon. This isn't The Rock. This certainly isn't the first Bad Boys. But it might be Bay's (laughs) fourth best film. Okay. I'll take your word. <laughs> it's no Bad Boys. <laughs> bad Boys is my favorite Bay film. Strong recommend. I hope someday we get to cover it if they make a third one. Wow. Really love Bad Boys. But the question is, can Bay keep the streak alive? Now, he's not directing Mutant Ninja Turtles, but he is producing it. It is his company, and that is our next retrospective. It's actually a comic franchise, not a toy franchise, so Jacob will be joining us. And Stuart, we're going to talk some Heroes in a Half Shell starting next week. Yeah, gone Mark Wahlberg, back Megan Fox. Yay! (laughs) I don't know what to think of this, but uh, yeah, I'll certainly be a newbie. I think this will be a new thing for me to try on. I'll put on the turtle shell and see how it looks. Yep, we're going to go Ninja Go with some podcasts for the next five weeks. The three original live-action films, the animated TMNT, and then this reboot, which I don't know what to think of it. There was a trailer before Transformers, and I'm like, eh, could kind of work. The new Michelangelo's given me a creepy kind of James Franco Spring Breakers vibe, but... (laughs) 
I wonder if they're going for that. Uh, yeah, I saw that trailer too, and all like creepy is a word that popped into my head. I can see why they haven't been pushing pictures of these turtles. Gone is the cartoon cutesy quality, that's for sure. Well, that starts next week. And a reminder, if you want to hear us talk more Mark Wahlberg, probably not as favorably here, even for Stuart who read Arrow this, not as favorably, we just reviewed last Friday... 2001's Planet of the Apes as part of our ongoing gold donation Planet of the Apes series leading up to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes coming out in just a couple weeks. Now that trailer kicked some ass before Transformers. I'm really excited for that movie. Yeah, looks good and yeah, it's been a fun series to cover. I really appreciate the gold level donors that have been able to join us. I'm hoping a few more of you are out there you know, waiting maybe for most of the shows to be released. Well, they're almost all out there. We've got Planet of the Apes Wahlberg style already out next week James Franco Speed Racer after that and then yeah we're going to be at the end all the shows will be available so save your pennies and don't forget at the end of this donation drive all of them go in the vault if you're waiting for video to see the new Planet of the Apes film and then want to hear our review you won't be able to get it at the end of July it goes in the vault but you can donate now and download it and then listen whenever you want six months from now a year from now but Six months from now, you won't be able to get it from us. So find out all the details on how you can get 14 bonus podcasts if you go gold for $25 or more, or six bonus podcasts if you go silver, you get six movies from the Wachowskis, the four Matrix films, plus Speed Racer, and then whenever the heck it comes out, Jupiter Ascending. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Jerry Stewart, thank you for joining me, and we'll be back next week till all are one. Our races united by a history long forgotten and a future we shall face together. I am Optimus Prime. And I send this message so that our pasts will always be remembered. For in those memories, we live on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Transformers Movie Retrospective Series. Tell Grimlock about Petro Rabbits again. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Never seen anything like this before. In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of film series such as X-Men, Star Trek, The Shining, 2001, A Space Odyssey, G.I. Joe, Robocop, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Your, your friends will love it. Cheers. It's a lot of fun. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Transformers movies with other listeners. Are you not surprised to see us? You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. We are here. We are are waiting. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I owe you my life. We are in your debt. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, 
coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. Now Playing's Transformers Retrospective Series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Did you know it was going to be this hard? Can you just stop? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You have a really bad habit of having these conversations at the wrong time, man. Now Playing is not affiliated with Hasbro Incorporated, Paramount Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures, or 20th Century Fox. Not a word until we get a lawyer. Transformers and all the Transformers universe contains is the property of Hasbro Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Okay, so what? I've, I've downloaded a couple thousand songs off the internet. Who has it? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. There's something a little fishy about you, your son, your little Taco Bell dog, and this whole operation you got going on here. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Come on, showtime's over. We've got work to do. I actually had a bit of a panic attack yesterday as I was driving, not only because I got pulled over by a cop for speeding, but because I realized I did not remember what happened in the last movies. Did the cop on the side of his car have to punish an enslave? <laughs> he did not. He was very nice. He, he let me go without a warning, so I'm going to give a shout out to LAPD. Thank you. <laughs> nice. That's rare. Yeah, I was at Toy Fair this year covering it for Marvelicious Toys and Star Wars. Mm! <clears throat> me Grimlock. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <clears throat> Tell me about Petro Rabbits again. I'll just say this. I went into this movie with a scowl on my face and my arms folded and yeah, I've got a freaking review transformer. And Fruity Pebbles, Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> Here's the thing for action for me, though. And I had this problem when we were doing some of those other films. You dropped your keys. Yeah. <laughs> and then slowly munch on this rotting rat for nourishment. And he has to draw it out because he doesn't know if he'll ever escape. And I Is he eating Fruity Pebbles? I All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So, J- J- so Jerry, that was habit. 